We've been uh, telling our story. What's your story? That's been the question the last few weeks. And, uh, um, and looking at scripture, looking at Paul's testimony and John's testimony. And this week we're going to talk about some of the things that Peter said about the Lord. Uh, and each week we've been asking somebody to share their testimony. Just so happened the ladies' Bible study has been going through the book of James. And uh, uh, Amy was sharing her testimony with me the other day. Not like I didn't know it, but... Uh, but just going back through it, and uh, uh, so she's going to come and share her story this morning. First, I'm going to say this is hard for me, even though I talk a lot. I don't talk in front of everyone a lot. Um, also, I want to say that um, if God wants you to do something, just do it. It's much easier just to do it. Um, I, you know, I'm usually gone in children's church, so I was like, I'm not going to volunteer for the one Sunday I'm in here to get up and talk. You know, I didn't really want to do that. And so last week I was like, I should volunteer, and I didn't. And then I had my whole story right now yesterday, which honestly would be longer than Brother Chad's sermon, people, you know. Um, but um, so I was going to, I was just talking to him about it. But um, anyway, I hadn't planned to get up today until just a few minutes ago, but God had been saying, you're getting up today. Um, gosh, my story, um, when I was around the age of 12, I walked the aisle and I was baptized, and um, it's one of those situations where, you know, you know your heart, you don't know other people's hearts, and um, nobody misled me or anything else, but I was baptized, but then each year, each youth meeting each thing I would go to there was still something just empty inside me and I'd say God what did I do wrong did I not you know there's something I did wrong well then as I got into high school and things I started trying to fill that hole with other things that just could never fill a God-shaped hole in my heart and um as time went on and I started college and um God blessed with a baby and a husband and I knew at that time it wasn't just about me and that there were other things that God had in store, but there was still an emptiness inside me. And I, I started working at the church. I was the secretary, and I typed sermons as part of my job. And the conviction as I typed those sermons, it was just unbearable at times. And I finally went to the pastor, and he said, well, are you saved? I said, well, yeah, I'm saved. How could I not be saved? And so he started, you know, going on what I was telling him. He, you know, well, I tried to start reading the Bible more. I tried to memorize some scripture. There's just something I'm not doing. And then one day, um, I sat down at my house. We were living over on Jackson Street, and I read a crazy-looking pamphlet, but it was a, a scriptural pamphlet, and one thing just jumped off of that page at me, and it said, even the demons believe there is a God. You see, I had believed there was a God. I'd believed everything about Jesus, but I'd never believed on him. I'd never let him take my life and fill that hole in my heart. And when I finally said, Lord, take me. I don't just believe you exist. I'm giving my life to you. Then he was able to use me and to fill me. And everything hasn't been easy. Uh, my class this week, we've talked a lot about, you know, that God never promises that it's going to be easy as you 
accept him as you try to live for him, but he will be with us every step of the way and through every trial and through every move to different churches or cities or different things, the path that, that we've went, um, the really hard trials of depression and things that I've faced, um, he is there and he has taught me in those moments above anything else to trust in him. And um, now with co-teachers that, that you know, come alongside and our ladies' Bible study group here and our uh, Sunday school classes and you guys, um, he is continuing to work in me. Thank you all. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I am blessed that uh, the, the Lord put upon Amy's heart to share during Peter's testimony instead of Paul's, you know, because... Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and there may have been too many parallels between me living with Amy and, and, and Paul's thorn in the flesh. I don't know. But, um, but anyway, um, some of you got that. Uh, uh, First Peter, uh, Second Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1. Uh, Peter is, is encouraging the church in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. Peter's letters are written to the church. These letters are, are addressing the needs within the church. And as he's writing to the church here, he's striving to encourage them to stand strong under persecution, to stand strong under all that they're facing. Uh, but he starts out talking in, in, in uh, verse 1 here, starting in verse 10, about diligence. How can you be diligent under persecution? How can you keep on when everything is working against you? And, and Peter... Uh, concludes here that, that it is because of the truth of the Lord that he can be bold in the Lord. Now Peter had always been bold. We talked about with Paul. Paul was a very, uh, a very strong person, strong-willed person. He was, had a great attitude in pursuing what, what his ambitions were in life, and God used that. He transformed Paul's heart. But he still used those same uh, uh, character traits to, to perform his ministry and to do what he, he wanted him to do. Peter is much the same way. You know Peter's story. Peter was very, uh, what's a nice word, outspoken. Peter was outspoken. He, whatever came into his mind, he had no filter. It just came right out of his mouth. You know people like that. Amen? All right? Don't point fingers, all right? But, but, but those things, they just come right out. And God used that. He redeemed Peter. He saved him. And then the things that came out of Peter's mouth were useful. And, uh, and God used him in that way. So let's read what Peter writes here. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 10. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word this morning? Again, Peter writing to the churches. He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Now let me pause there for a second and say this. What Peter is saying is, I'm going to keep telling you my story even though you've heard it before. He said, even though you're familiar with these things, I'm going to keep telling you these things. Verse 13. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. 
Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. Father, help us to understand the work that you have in our lives, Lord, the work that you want to do in our hearts, the work that you leave for our hands to do. But Lord, help us to see this word today in engaging Christ in our ministry, in our lives, in our families. Help us to see how sharing our story might be an encouragement to others, how it might reach beyond ourselves, and how the truth of it might affect the hearts of all who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to break Peter's words down here basically in three parts as we understand what he's saying to the people. Now Peter's story is not quite as direct and poignant as as Paul's was. Paul said, this is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met him and this is who I came to be. This is who I am today because of the Christ that I met. John's story, John's story was one of, of, of experiencing Jesus. His story dealt more with the life that he led walking with Christ and seeing the work that Christ had done. That is also a testimony. But Peter's story here, I believe, is one of engaging Jesus. He says, I'm telling the story because I'm going to keep reminding you of this until the day I put off this tent. What is he saying? He said, I'm going to tell my story till I die. You know, we sing a song sometimes, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. But do we? Do we love to tell the story of Jesus? Or do we like to sing about telling the story of Jesus on Sunday morning because it makes us feel good that we might want to tell the story of Jesus one day? Now what's the difference, preacher? Well, the difference is, are we telling it? It's one thing. Look, you are in the safest place in the world this morning to be a Christian. You can walk into church in the United States on a Sunday morning proclaiming Jesus Christ. You can say his name out loud. Say it. Jesus! Jesus! Jesus. Nobody's going to do anything to you. But then you walk out the door. You walk right out the door after Sunday morning and shout Jesus at a car walking by. I mean, riding by. Cars don't walk. All right? (laughs) At a car riding by. And and they're probably going to look at you crazy. I'd probably look at you crazy too if you're out there. But, But that's beside the point. You go into your workplace and profess Jesus. Proclaim him. I'm not talking about standing on a chair and shouting Jesus. I'm talking about telling a co-worker, hey, Christ came into my life and changed me, saved me. You know, that I, as, as Amy said, that there's this hole that was there that only he could fill, and, and this is how he did that. Well, Peter here, in engaging Jesus, he tells us the reason to tell the story. The reason to tell the story says, therefore, brethren, be diligent, make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. What is he saying there? He's encouraging diligence. The reason to tell the story, one reason to tell your story, one of many reasons 
to tell your story of how Christ has gotten hold of you. And if he hasn't, to tell the story of Jesus and to rehearse that story of Jesus and to know him in a true and personal way is that you might learn to be diligent. That's not a word we throw around a whole lot. None of us in our everyday conversation usually use the word diligent. So what is Peter saying there? He's, he's, he's keep on keeping on. Scripture says, Paul wrote this, he said, I strive daily to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. What does that mean? It means that every day I wake up, I make it a point that I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to find someone to share the truth of the gospel with. I'm going to tell someone of what Christ has done for me. And he's encouraging the church, Peter is here, to be diligent to make their call and election sure. What does that mean? I, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I didn't center these, these sermons around the stories. Each week it's been a little different. But as Amy was sharing, even there, even though I know her testimony and I'm familiar with it, and, and, and so, so much of it... And, to see this passage of scripture and what, what the writer, what Peter is saying here, to make your call and election sure, how did she come to know Christ? By pursuing the word of God. She knew that something was missing. A lot of us sitting in here this morning know that something is missing. But we don't want to pursue it. Why do we not want to pursue what's missing? Because if we find out what's missing, it might force us to make a decision. We might be compelled to say, you know what, I am not enough in and of myself and I need to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we have to surrender that and it is a prideful thing. And I know that, I've shared that, I've told you, I've, I've, I've had white knuckles on back of the pew many times knowing that I needed to be saved, knowing that I needed to give my heart and life to Christ, but refusing to make the move. Why do we do that? Because we're prideful people. But Peter here says, be diligent. Be diligent to make your call and election sure. To be secure in your salvation. To know that Christ has come into your heart and that you are indeed saved. How do you do that? By continuing to do what God has called you to do. The, the, the reason for the story, the reason Peter is telling his story is to encourage diligence in others. But also to inspire persistence. To make sure. Now he deals with two things here. The call and election. Election being salvation. The call. You have a call to salvation. But you also have a call to serve. Think about it for, for a second. Jesus said no one comes unto the Father. Comes unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him unto me. You have that calling. That, that Holy Spirit yearning to be close to Christ. And when you follow that calling and you accept the gift of salvation, that is your first and only calling until you are saved. Here's the thing we deal with a lot of times in church. A lot of times people are trying to fill that hole. They're trying to fill that void. So I want to be on, in this group or I want to be uh, doing this or I want to have this activity or I want to have this function or I want to be a part of this uh, program and so on and so forth. Constantly trying to fill that void. I've shared before when I was in youth ministry, I had one young man rededicate about seven times. You know, within three or four years, he just rededicated. And I sat down with him one day, I had a real long talk. I said, I said, man, here's the thing. You can't rededicate something that has never been dedicated. You need to be sure that you're saved. 
Because if not, we're going to fall into the church, we're going to fall into the work, and we're going to just keep trying to fill that emptiness with something else. We're going to keep trying to do something else. But Peter here says, be persistent to make sure of the calling. Because I want to tell you, if you are saved today, if you have Christ in your heart, you are called. You are called to serve. Every child of God has some sort of ministry in their life. And that ministry may be as important as raising your children to know Jesus Christ and teaching Christ in your home. It may be uh, as, as, as important as standing in front of a Sunday school class and teaching. It may be as important as going and, and ministering in, in a, a foreign land. It may be any of those things. Every one of us is called to some sort of ministry. We might not stand in a pulpit, but we are called to do the work. And Peter says here, no, be sure of your call and your election. Understand what it is that the Lord has in store for you. The reason I keep telling my story, he says, is so that you will know your story. What's your story? When you look at your life and you say, this is how Christ got hold of me and this is what he's doing to me. How does that play out? See, because if you can't look at your life and understand that God is doing a work, then you might need to understand that He's ready to do a work. The other reason Peter has here is to express gratitude. He says, it be supplied entrance abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of, of our Savior. Uh, uh, Understand this, he is grateful for what the Lord is doing here. He is grateful for what he's doing. He's, he's, he's excited about the idea of an abundant, everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. He, he's excited about being established in, in the truth of this word. He's excited about the opportunity that the Lord has given him. But understand, he's saying that, that we want to that, that, uh, back up into verse 10 here. He says, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Hmm. If you are persistent, he says, in doing the work that the Lord's given you, if you are certain of the election and calling upon your life, if you are convinced of what Christ has done in your heart, that you have been redeemed, and that you're willing to serve Him in whatever way He calls you, you will never stumble. What does that mean? Does that mean you're going to be sinless? It means you're going to be forgiven. And it means that even when problems come and you don't handle them correctly, this word stumble here is really to fall on your face. You're never really going to fall on your face because the Lord's going to be there to catch you. Amen. How? Because He's pursuing holiness. That's what He's doing. He's saying that my life is carved out. I'm not going to stumble because I'm diligently, passionately, persistently pursuing the holiness of God. I've been looking in Scripture at, at some of the phrases of, of pleasing God. Shared with the, the youth last week where, it, it said, where the psalmist wrote, May the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O God. I look in Hebrews where it says that without faith it is impossible to what? Please God. How many of us wake up every morning and say, You know, what am I going to do today to please God? 
Now let me, let me get this very, very clear. You're not going to do anything to impress God. Alright? God has, has the story written. He knows what's going to happen. He loves you no matter how bad you fail and no matter how great you succeed. His love for you is unchanging. Book of James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not going to change. But we can please Him. How many of you get up every day and say, I want to please God today. I want God to be pleased with the things that I say to my neighbor, to my family. I want God to be pleased with the way I'm living my life. I want Him to be able to stand up and say, that's my kid. I'm proud of him. You know where I get that from? And now it's off the subject, but it all goes back to the book of Acts anyway. So if you look at the book of Acts and the story of Stephen, I love the story of Stephen where he stands up in the midst of the crowd and testifies of who Christ is and the, and the truth of it from the Old Testament all the way through and he gives this great sermon and the, the Bible says that the people there stoned him to death when in the midst of what he was doing the Bible says that he said I see heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and I love that story because Jesus had said before he ascended into heaven he said from this time on I will be seated at the right hand of the Father. And I know that, that may not make a big deal to some of you. But when I think of Stephen standing and testifying. And that Jesus is so pleased with his testimony. That he rises from his throne. And he looks down on his child. I want that. I want the Lord to be pleased with my life. I want the Lord to be pleased with my words. I want the Lord to be pleased with my attitude in things. Because I want to tell you, you can say the right things and do the right things and have the wrong attitude and totally miss the joy that the Lord wants you to have. There are a lot of, and y'all don't tell them I said this, but there are a lot of bitter Christians in the world today. There are a lot of people with that older brother syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? The, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son runs off, messes up, comes back and is redeemed and forgiven. And the older brother standing over in the corner and says, I've been good the whole time. Look how good I am. And a lot of us have that attitude. You know, we may not project it all the time, but in our hearts we're going, how come they got that and I didn't? But Peter says, Here's why I'm writing this to you, to encourage you to persist, to know that your call and election is sure, to express this gratitude in your heart because God has called you to holiness. He has called you to a ministry of pleasing Him. See, here's the thing. We get it wrong in church so often. We, we think that the... the, the, the the preacher or the singer or the ministers or whatever are performing and we're the audience and we're taking it in. But really that's not the case. That God's off somewhere doing His thing and we're here having this activity. But you know why we come to church and worship together? See, whoever's up here, whether it be the preacher, the song director, somebody ministering through music or whatever, we're just the directors. You are the performers. The church is the performance and God is the audience 
And He wants to look upon His church and say, that, that's my people. I am pleased with them. Look at them. Understand this is how we are to live. Peter says this is the reason to tell the story. To be God's people. To show the world what they look like. And he goes on, he talks about the reach of this story. And I love how he puts this here. Verse 13, he says, yes, I think it right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up. Don't you like that? To stir you up by reminding you. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. What is he saying there? That our story reaches beyond ourselves. See, not only is it the, the reason for the story we see here, we see the reach of the story. Our story is more than our story. My redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that He offers me on the cross of Calvary, and the glory that He offers me in the resurrection from the dead is more than just for me. If I was to hoard that and to keep it to myself and never tell anybody that story, what a wretched man I would be. How sad to have the greatest thing in the world that could possibly happen, happen in your life to be saved from sin, to be saved from death, to be saved from hell and the grave and not tell anybody. What a tragedy. But Peter says it reaches beyond ourselves in regard to the saints, in regard to encouraging the church, in regard to moving in the right direction. He says, I find it imperative that I remind you, remind you over and over again to stir you up. Why do we tell our testimony? Why do we share what Christ has done with us? So that another person might be stirred up to tell their story. But we keep it to ourselves. We keep our hearts guarded. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to be affected by those around us. But Peter says, I remind you because I want to stir you up. Our story reaches beyond ourselves, but it also reaches beyond our strength. Peter understood this. See, our calling is greater than our life right now. As Amy said earlier, she handed her life over to Christ. That's what salvation looks like. When you hand your life over to Him. Here's where we misunderstand salvation, I think, in our culture today in a lot of ways. We want to keep doing what we've been doing, living like we've been living, saying what we've been saying, wearing what we've been wearing, going where we've been going, and sprinkle a little, little Jesus on it and call it salvation. Now that might work with Tony Sacheries, but it don't work with Jesus. Alright, a little Tony's goes a long way. But Jesus, you have to surrender your life to. Jesus said, if any man would come to me, I will in no wise turn him away. We shared last Sunday night about three men who came to the Lord who would not fully surrender to the Lord. If we would just surrender to Him and trust Him with our lives, our story would go beyond our strength. Peter's responding to the call of Christ and he's saying, I know what the Lord has told me, that one day I'm going to have to die in this calling. I'm going to lay this tent, this, tip, this temple, this tabernacle, I'm going to lay it aside. But that's okay. Because my story goes beyond this tent, beyond this tabernacle. It goes beyond our very lives. Look at what he says. I, 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 this is so interesting to me. Verse 15. 
Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. What does that mean? He said, I'm going to tell you my story now so many times that there are going to be people repeating this story after I'm dead. That's basically what he says. He said, when I die, when, during my decease, after my departure, after I've laid this tent aside, I don't want there to be a person showing up at my funeral that does not know that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what that means. How many times, I can't tell you that I've stood in a funeral home, I've stood by a casket, I've stood trying to minister to a family, just not knowing. Not knowing whether that person was saved or not. Just having to trust, Lord, I hope that that person was saved. I, I, I trust you with them. I, help me minister to this family, whatever it is. But then there are those times There are those blessed opportunities where you get to stand as a pastor and bid farewell to somebody who you know every aspect of their life was pointed toward Jesus. And I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest privileges of the calling that God has put on my life. To be able to see somebody whose story lasted longer than their life. There are people today who have impacted my life who, who have been gone for a number of years. But when I get to talking about them, it's like they're right there. Because they were all about Jesus. You have people in your life like that, people that you've known in the church, people that have impacted you in great ways. That's what Peter's saying. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for your life? Wouldn't you like to be able to, to have the rest and the peace and the comfort of saying, you know what, I've told my story. My, sick, my kids are just sick of hearing my testimony. My family's just tired of hearing what Jesus... I've, said, I've told this story so many times that, that my aunt can just repeat it a hundred times. You know, I want everybody to know that I know Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. Not only is it the reason... To tell the story is the reach of that story. How far it goes beyond our own lives, beyond our own strength, beyond our own selves. So how do we get to that place? Well, the same way Peter did. Not by following cunningly devised fables, verse 16. He said, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of the coming, power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses to His majesty. See, here's the thing, because our story, not only is it about the, 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 the reach of the story beyond ourselves, not only is it the reason to encourage others and to stir people up, but it is the reality of the story. A true story is always better. I know some of you ladies, y'all watching them Lifetime movies because it says, based on a true story, right? Oh, I can't believe this really happened. And it probably didn't. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But the story of Christ is based in reality. Why could Peter be so bold? Why could he be so bold in the truth? Because he was not telling a morality tale. What is a morality tale? It's a fable. Aesop's fables, you know, 
Don't be a gingerbread man and swim across a river on the back of a fox or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, these, these little stories that you tell the kids and there's always a little moral to it. That, that's, not, that's not it. I had a, a creative writing class in college and, and I just got saved and everything I wrote was about Jesus. I mean, in some way, shape or form was coming back to Jesus. And I had a secular teacher in that class and he was a nice guy, real good writer. But he, he's like, you got to stop being so obvious. I'm like, this is just what I want to talk about. He said, but no, he said, you want to write morality tales. You want to write stories that point people in that direction without giving them. I'm like, no, I don't. But, you know, I passed. It was all right. I didn't want to be an author anyway. But, but here's the thing. That wasn't what Peter was doing. Peter wasn't telling a morality tale. Peter wasn't telling a story simply that people might get a lesson from this story. Simply so they might feel better about having heard the story. Simply so they might live a little nicer and be a little kinder to each other. That wasn't what it was about. He was telling the truth. And he's telling this in the midst of people who were brave enough to live that truth out. The reason Peter knew he was about to lay his life down was because he was proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. It wasn't something that he made up. Verse 17, For he received, we, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him, this excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He said we were eyewitnesses to His majesty. We saw all these things happen and we can't help but tell people. Here's the thing with the early church. So many people were coming in trying to bombard the early church, trying to pull them this way and that way, trying to convince them that what they believed was not real. But Peter said, I have seen it and I know it and I'm going to tell it to anybody who will listen to me. We have got to get back to that place as children of God that the truth is so real that we have to tell it. Can't do that with a little Tony Sastry salvation, all right? That's real salvation. That's putting the pothead to toast saturated with the word of God salvation. That's handing it all over to Jesus. Trusting him with the outcome. Salvation. And when you have that, you don't have to have a preacher in the pulpit telling you to tell the story. You're just going to tell it. 